welcome to the lab. If this is your first time here, my name is Kate Holliday and I'm here with Ryan Rivers. On this show we like to dig in and dissect to a wide plethora, if you will, of topics. Uh, if you want to reach us, send us your comments, suggestions, uh, QSL card requests for shortwave radio listeners, theweeklylab at gmail.com is how to get a hold of us. And if you miss us over on shortwave radio through WRMI, uh, we also use us as a podcast on iTunes, so you can go download those episodes at any point. You just got to search for The Lab. And, uh, man, last week, we took a break. Yeah, we missed out last week. We took spring break. We did. We, um, we went to a casino. That was fun. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. I um, mean, we didn't stay too long. But no. It's not like Vegas where there's like a bajillion different things to do in each casino, so we just spent a couple hours. We just walked around. Took in the sights and the sounds. Put everything on black. Put it all on black and mm. bet it. Yep. So we took a break last week. The week before, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. That's right. We talked about St. Patrick and everything that he did for Ireland. Yeah. Somebody did email us uh, with a QSL card request and some questions about the show. And uh, they were asking if St. Patrick actually drove out the snakes from Ireland. And we could not confirm. We could not confirm nor deny. Although I read that Ireland didn't have any snakes at the time. Mm. So that w- I, I don't know where that whole... I don't know if you call it a myth or a legend or something came from, but it was ba- uh, my interpretation of it was just to show that St. Patrick had like powers, kind of mind powers, mind powers, and was very influential. Yeah, I guess you could say. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but no, we cannot confirm nor deny. Yeah, because so I to wasn't that there. Question, right? And there's no physically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from everything I read, there weren't snakes in Ireland. I have I've never been to Ireland, so I can't say whether there's snakes or not, yeah. or if there ever were. Um, but or yeah. if there ever will be. True. Unless there might be now. I don't know. Yeah. It could have migrated. Yeah. From somewhere. Possibly. But yeah. Um, so we're going to switch gears today. We are indeed. How would you describe what's going to happen today? Um, for listeners? So we are on episode what? 85. 85. Um, Good grief. I meant to do this a while ago for those that um, maybe aren't familiar with us. As, as people, mm-hmm. um, to do kind of, uh, not a revisit of our initial show, but just kind of a, uh, <laughs> which is a disaster. Our initial show. But just kind of do a, uh, a bit of a background on who we are, where mm-hmm. we come from, um, and how we ended up doing this right here. Okay. Um, so this week I was going to uh, basically let you tell your story. Okay. And then um, if we have time, if, if anybody would like to hear my story. And mm-hmm. that's cool. If not, then we'll probably just get a topic suggestion after yours, and then, <laughs> um, and we'll be doing that. I think it's only fair that we do yours next, anyways. Um, so I came up with uh, just a few different questions or um, tidbits for you to hit on. Okay. And as always, I came unprepared. Yes, correct. Yeah. I sprung this on you last night. I was it's like, hey, for tomorrow, how about uh, I just do like a little interview type deal? Yeah. And um, let people know who Kate Holiday is. Yeah. And I got to thinking about our first show. We called it like. We didn't call our episodes the whatever lab, like the blank lab, fill in the blank, essentially, we do with each episode now. It was called, like, the introduction show. Something. Something like that. And I remember somebody wrote Jeff from WRMI, like, a, like, reception report for Mm -hmm. shortwave, and they were like, it was literally 15 minutes of, like, a husband and wife is what their interpretation was of talking, and then it was just repetitive music yeah. and it was because our time slot is half an hour right and we were so new to doing a podcast like we radio show style yeah like we didn't know what we were doing so it's just funny how far we've come because most of the time now we run out of time right and we do multiple part series i think it just means we don't know when to shut up 
well, that that too. But I mean, we're just more comfortable with the process. So it's just funny to come like literally this July. It'll be two years that we've been doing the show. Eighty-five episodes in. Well, this is yeah, this is episode eighty-five. Wow. And we're gonna revisit it. So if you haven't caught the very first show, you can go on iTunes and find it. I don't suggest. No, I would. I would just skip over that. <laughs> yeah, just listen to this one, um, so that people can get to know us a little bit. Yeah. So um, we'll just dig right in. Okay. Uh, first of all. Are, um, they, are these going to be hard? No, I don't think so. All they right. should be everything at your level. You uh, At my level. I, I leveled well, them down to the stuff that you can you answer. You dumbed it down. <laughs> you made it foolproof. All right, I think I can handle it. There won't be any history questions. There won't be any oh, thank goodness. advanced calculus or anything. Sweet. Um, so right off the bat, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your background growing up. Um, did you ever plan on working in radio? Did you have any aspirations to do anything like what you're doing now and I, I know this is just a hobby yeah but you did hold a job in the state of Alaska I have held a job before <laughs> you have held a job <laughs> one job no you actually um you had a, a paying job right being on the radio mm-hmm. for um for several years so yeah um give us give us a little bit about your your background what your career plans were yeah and how you ended up sitting here recording podcast with you um yeah so Honestly, growing up, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I aspired to be an Olympic gymnast at one point. I thought that was going to be my career. We all got to have goals. Of course. Um, That ended with an injury to my knee. I could no longer train, so that killed that dream. Mm -hmm. Um, At another point... What what age was that? uh, I quit. I had to quit when I was like 13. Okay. 14-ish. Yeah, so pretty young. Um, And then somehow my transition got to like medicine. Mm. I don't know why. Uh, my dad's a retired Coast Guard. He was not in the medical field. He was a mechanic, um, extremely mechanically inclined. Uh, unfortunately, I did not inherit any of those traits. Thank you. Can confirm. Yes. So uh, I don't know how I got turned on to the whole medical field thing, but I thought like going through high school and everything, I was going to be an ER nurse. Hmm. That's like what I set out to do. And I started going to college at a local college. I didn't go away like my friends did. I went to a community college, junior college type thing. And it just wasn't for me. Like going to school, coming back home, living with my parents and all my friends were down in like Southern California getting the whole dorm experience Mm -hmm. that I eventually dropped out even though I had a a scholarship, which was dumb on my part. And my dad told me like, you can't live in my house forever. So either you're going to take out student loans like every other American (laughs) who's not rich or you're going to go in the military, which is what he did. So I was like, well, crap, I don't want to be in debt for the rest of my life. Because I know medical school, whether it's nursing, becoming a doctor, something specific, you're going to be in debt for a while. Yeah. Because college is not cheap in general. So eventually went to the recruiter and I've been in the military for the past 12 years, which allowed me to go to Alaska. And for some reason, I don't know, I I always like to think that I'm I'm funny to some degree. Some people may... Uh, differ in opinion there. I, you know, I, I know my way around a joke. I do. Um, but for some reason, I thought, like, voice acting would be so much fun. Like, watching cartoons and, like, just funny shows where people voice different characters that crack me up. I was like, man, that would be, like, the optimal job. Hmm. You just go in and you record funny stuff, and then you leave the studio, and you get to see it reciprocated on the end of, like, a TV show as a cartoon or something. I don't know. I grew up watching a lot of cartoons and... Some of them are my favorite all-time shows, and I just thought that that would be amazing. So I looked into how to get into voice acting. Um, Like, you go to school, and you get coaches and things like that, because I cannot sing. So, like, singing is not my thing. And then there were just, like, other things that kind of were voice-oriented that I was like, no, that's not me. 
Um, and I started doing research and I found that a lot of voice actors, whether they do commercials, um, animation shows, things like that, started out in radio. Hmm. Interesting. So I was thinking living on Kodiak Island, it's so small, maybe I, they could take me in as an intern um, at the local radio station. So there was actually one station that had two radio stations out of it because there's like nothing around there, you know. Um, so I went in one day and I asked about being an intern and to my discovery, Alaska pays their interns like it's required by the state. So I was paid as an intern for six months. And after that, they hired me on as an employee. Um, and it started off really basic. I was doing weather reports, like pre-recorded weather reports. And when I tell you doing like a 40 second marine weather report used to take me an hour wow. because I had no clue what I was doing. And I would like because it was pre-recorded. So I could record it and edit it kind of like these shows. They're not live. So if we screw up or the dogs bark or something, I could edit it. Mm -hmm. um, but it used to take me forever to get through those things. Um, and I did a live show with another guy that worked there every Saturday, which was fun. It was only like an hour long. And then it transitioned into me getting my own show every single weekday on the country music station. And then you and I started doing the shows on Saturday because that guy left the station and it just kind of progressed. So we did that for like, you were there with me for what, like two years? Yeah. And I was, yeah. And I was working for him for three years. So when we moved, we just kind of thought like being a paid employee, you have to follow rules. Yeah. You can't offend anybody. You can't do anything. And I feel like the podcast avenue was like more our speed. Because if you guys don't know already, Ryan and I are extremely sarcastic. So <laughs> it was just a better avenue to like do it as a hobby and not have somebody like regulating and telling me what I can and cannot do. So I mean, that's my whole progression into how I got into here. I would still love to do voice acting. Right. I still think that would be such a blast. So maybe at some point in my life, I'll be able to get somebody to teach me how to do it. Because the natural progression from what I read was like radio to doing commercials. You know, the people that like talk super fast for medical side effects and blah, 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 like all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you hear like the same voice doing it because right. I get hired. And you can do that crap from home. Like record it on our program here and I would just send it to whoever. Like you can do it from anywhere um and then they get into voice acting as far as like cartoons and stuff hmm. so that's kind of the natural progression but i mean i've been doing radio and podcast stuff now for five years i think total between you and i's time at the radio station and now us having this show so it's gone well i mean i think so we haven't like gained a huge following or anything but it's more or less just for us to get on there and have fun and we do have some consistent listeners of friends family and other people and honestly the feedback from shortwave besides our first couple of shows where people are like what am i listening to right, yeah have been super positive like people say they enjoy listening to it which i appreciate hearing because that's why we do it you know right. so i'm having fun so um your dad gives you the ultimatum you either go and uh be an adult now and <laughs> I don't want to grow up. Find your way through college and yeah. life or you join the military. What uh yep. was there ever any thoughts in your mind about maybe I'm gonna uh be in the Air Force or maybe I wanna join the Marine Corps or were you strictly Ugh. just with the Coast Guard because you had grown up on Coast Guard bases or did your dad push you into that side at all or did he say, figure it out yourself? He didn't really push me in that direction. I think it was just kind of an assumption. Mm. Like it was like a known thing because I remember I took a practice ASVAB on test and you had to like sign in, you had to submit your email and your phone number and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was a legit website that was linked to all the services. Oh wow! And when I took it and I got a certain grade, I'm not even joking within like the week, I had three different Marine recruiters knocking on my door 
And my dad was like, oh, she's that was joining. back in the day where they went to your houses. Yeah, and they literally came and said, like, hey, you got a really good score. Like, we'd love to recruit you. Let's talk about jobs that you could apply for. And I'm sure it's because I was a female. And I'm sure females are, like, a bigger minority in the Marines as they are opposed to, like, the Air Force or Navy, I feel like. Yeah. I don't know for sure. But they were, like, really inclined to hire me because I was a female and I did decent on the ASVAB. Um, and my dad basically was like, she's going in the Coast Guard and, like, slammed the door in their face. Like, get out of here, you know? Um but I hadn't really been exposed to other services other than like traveling to Navy bases and Air Force bases with my parents and stuff. But I didn't know anything about the other services. So it was just kind of assumed that I was going to go to the Coast Guard. Hmm. But there wasn't really, I hadn't really considered other ones. I mean, if I would go back and do it, I might jo- join the Air Force knowing what I know now. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I didn't, I didn't want to go to combat either. So I know the Coast Guard could be called up in time of war and things like that, but we're more of a life-saving service and a life-taking service is the way I look at it. And I didn't want to go to the desert or, like, those places. And thank God there's people that do, but I didn't think that was more my speed. So it was just kind of an assumption and, like, a known fact that I would go in the Coast Guard if it was Mm. military. See, sounds like you already had your mind made up once this was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really think of anything else. Okay. So fast forward, you are, uh, how old are you now? You, oh, you okay. joined the Coast Guard at what age? Um, 19. So you're 19. Yeah. Um, first time leaving home, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, for long periods of time. I mean, I had traveled for sports and things for like four or five days sometimes without my parents, but never lived on my own. Okay. Nope. Um, so you, obviously, you get sent to uh, sunny Cape May, New Jersey. Yeah. And I'm in, <laughs> in the middle of winter. It was not sunny. Um. So you make it through boot camp and mm-hmm. uh, take us through some of the challenges that you faced. Like, what did you have to overcome to get to where you are now? Because how many years in do you have now? You have just over 12, it's just over 12 years. So you're more yeah. than halfway to retirement. So yes. over the last 12 years, like what uh, what do you feel like you you really had to overcome um, that before maybe it didn't cross your mind? Jeez, you know, something it's so simple, but I feel like something that I never thought about growing up and being an adult is how to write checks. This sounds sounds so stupid, but, like, I used to have to Google how to write a check. Wow. Like, to pay my rent, to pay my bills. Like, I was like, crap, I have literally never written a check in my entire life. That's funny. Yeah, and and another challenge was, like... And now nobody does it, hardly. Right, we do it for a couple of our bills, and it's like, I mean, it's a no-brainer now that I've been doing it forever. Um, But, like, just growing up, and it's not like I was sheltered as a kid. Like, my parents taught me about budgeting. They, like, taught me things at a young age, so I wasn't, like, naive to being adult an adult and living on my own um but one of the biggest things like i mean going into the military is your first time away from home is a culture shock yeah so realizing like i'll admit it i like kind of had some temper tantrums about it because i got stationed on a cutter a boat um and i kind of realized like i was no longer in control of my life Mm. like if i wanted to just like walk away from the boat because I lived on the boat at the time and like go see a movie I I couldn't at certain times like they controlled me essentially and I was like I can't just go see my family I can't just go see my friends from back home whenever I freaking feel like it so that was a culture shock because I was like pulled out of my natural habitat and now I'm living on a bunk bed in a boat 24 7 essentially because I didn't have a car either so I had Mm -hmm. like nowhere to go if I wanted to go somewhere I had to walk um so that was a huge culture shock to me and just learning how to, and I always thought I was independent, but like that really makes you learn how to be independent and like make friends quickly and adapt and overcome to like the culture shock of it all. Um, I had 
a credit score of zero yeah. when I moved out. I didn't. I never had a reason to build up credit. So when I went to go apply for a car, I remember they're like, we're going to run your credit score. And I was like, okay. Like, I didn't know anything <laughs> about it. I'm like, cool. And the guy comes back and he has this weird look on his face. And he's like, your credit score is zero. You're not in the system. Like, he's like, there's nothing. And I was like, okay. Like, okay, so where do I sign for the car? And he's like, yeah, getting a loan for you is going to be extremely hard. Like, it took a lot of convincing. And what they made me do was I went out and got a Best Buy credit card. And my limit was $750 because I had no credit. Yeah. And they were like, go get a basic credit card, low limit. That way it shows that you have something on file. And I had to get a local credit union uh, in Seattle at the time. It wasn't like a major bank or anybody to give me a loan. They were the only bank that would give me a loan for a vehicle. Because I had no credit. But, like, I didn't know what that was. Hmm. I was like, my parents never were like, here, I'm going to get you a credit card to build up your credit, you know? like Smart parents. I know. Like, I didn't think anything about it. Credit cards um, can get you in trouble. Oh, hell yeah. So, I mean, that was something I had to overcome. It was a lot of learning how to adult, like, very quick. Because I didn't know about those things. I was so naive about that type of thing as a kid that that was a lot of stuff to overcome. So, um, I mean... I grew up in the military, so I love moving around. So that wasn't a culture shock to me at all. Like, I didn't have to overcome anything with that. And honestly, I'm the type of person that now that I've grown up in that aspect, like after two or three years of being somewhere, I'm like, meh, like I'm bored. Yeah. On to the next, which most people will be like, no, this is where I want to grow up. I want to stay here forever. And that's just what they're used to. Um, so I didn't have any issue with that. But I mean, the shock of some of the jobs and just like where you're at, you know? Like, I used to go to sleep on the boat, seeing land and kind of having a feel for where I was. The next morning, I'd wake up, and I don't see one speck of land around me, and I'm like, oh, God. That's a feeling, isn't it? Yeah, like, I'm with 160-something people on this boat, and that is it. I cannot see another person or land or there's no security blankie. Mm. <laughs> so that was a shock, for sure. But it was a lot of just growing up more than I thought that I was. I thought I was pretty well off as far as, like, I'm, I'm an adult. I, I can do this. You know what I mean? So that was that was interesting. So while you're going through all this and you're facing all these new things, you're taken out of your comfort zone. You're learning what credit is. You're learning <laughs> that um, you are no longer in control of your life. Yeah. Um, what would you say was like um, like what fears did you have? Like what was the one thing or a couple things that yeah that like kept you up at night during any of this? Because I mean you're still relatively young. You know you're less than 21 years old. Mm-hmm. You can't even. You know, the government doesn't trust you to drink responsibly, yet they're going right. to put you on this Coast Guard cutter you were just talking about, and you're the one steering. Yeah. Hope you don't run into something. So Yeah. Um, you obviously had a lot of responsibility very fast, so, like, what were some of the things that uh, that made you worry? I mean, I guess, like, I had found myself in situations before with my family traveling a lot. Like, you get into bad neighborhoods on accident. You're exposed to somewhat dangerous situations, but... Being in the military, like, you don't really realize it until you legitimately feel fear of, like, being in danger. Um, so, like, we sailed through a couple areas where we had to set general quarters, which is, like, you're on high alert because it's not American-friendly water. Um, and you kind of realize, like, there's people roving the boat with M16s and you, your life could potentially be at danger. And then when somebody approaches you on the water and they're shouting at you and, like, you have no idea what they want because mm-hmm. you don't speak their language... It's it's really scary because you don't you don't understand like the reality of it until it, that kind of happens. It's interesting you say that because um, w- when was that? When did that? Uh, two thousand nine. So two thousand nine. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the USS Cole. Uh huh. So that's exactly what happened to them. They yeah. were. Um, uh, where were they? 
I'm thinking they were like in Djibouti, Africa or something over there, or Yemen, or they were somewhere in not friendly waters. Mm-hmm. And um, a vessel pulled up alongside them and somebody detonated a, uh, a bomb on board. Yeah. And that was in 2000. So this happened well before mm-hmm. where, um, where here you are in a similar situation. Right. So you're, what, 20 years old when this was going on? Yeah. 20 years old, you joined a service that you didn't want to go to the to the desert, to the sandbox. Mm-hmm. And now um, general quarters is being piped. Yep. Everybody's running around, setting zebra, everything else. And then here you have people approaching. Yeah. And I just remember, like, the captain, the CO came out, like, all the higher-ups came out, and they were, like, leaning over the side trying to figure out what these guys wanted. Um, and there's a bunch of people, like, pointing guns at them and everything, because we didn't know. Like, they came up on, like, makeshift canoes that had, like, right. motors on them, and mm-hmm. we were like, okay, these guys are out in the middle of nowhere, because we didn't see, like, we called it the mothership. Yeah, like, well, that's what it is. I mean, there's, I mean, look at the Somali pirates. I mean, they operated yeah. out of a mothership, and they would launch those little... Small little things, yeah, right? Little and that's what it was, and we were like... Okay, so where's the rest of them? Like, that's what we were worried about. Like, we could take two guys out of, like, the 160 people on board. I'm sure we'd be fine. But we're like, where's the rest of them? And it turns out that they literally wanted cigarettes from us. Hmm. Like, that's all they wanted. It was something very basic. We figured it out. Like, we didn't give them anything, and they went away. Um, but it you don't really realize it until you think of, like, you experience something like that. And the other thing was, like, when you're in the middle of nowhere and you learn shipboard safety about how to, like, shore up things that... You know, if your, like, deck or the floor is going to fall in, how to shore it up, hold it up. If a hole starts coming through on the side of the ship, how to patch that up and everything. And then you realize you're in, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you didn't really take it serious during your training because you just want to get qualified so mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to stand duty so much or whatever it is. But your life could be on the line if you don't understand what you're doing. And, like, a breach in the hole of a ship in the middle of nowhere could kill everybody, yeah. potentially. Um so I would say, I mean, I haven't, like I said, been to combat or combat zones like you have or anything like that. But I think just really sitting down in the realization of things and how much people rely on you and you rely on them um, in certain situations like that really just puts the fear in you, essentially. It makes you want to know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> so it's funny you say that, how, um, you know, you start taking on water and you can't see land or anything. Mm-hmm. and. You know, obviously there's a lot at stake. Um, I bring that up to point out the fact that you told me a long time ago that you actually jumped overboard um, over the Marianas Trench. Mm-hmm. So you swam in the deepest part of the ocean. Yes. And it was terrifying. I can imagine. I didn't I don't even like getting in the deep end of a pool. Yeah, I don't like when I can't see exactly. yeah, what's right? underneath me. And literally, I did it just so I could say that I did it. I spent about 10 minutes in the water, maybe. And it took me all of, like seven minutes to talk myself up to look underneath my feet because I knew it was miles and miles down. I couldn't see anything. And I was like, if there's some creepy fish from like the depth swimming under my feet, like something biologists have never even seen or (laughs) something like that. I was like, I'm going to flip out. So I like put my mask, my goggles on, I looked down and it was just black. Like I could see my feet and pass out was like blue and then black. And I was like, I'm out. Like I just went to the Jacob's ladder and got out. That was it. 
I didn't like joy swim around or like hang out with my friends. I just literally jumped in. And you probably had those jackasses that were like doing backflips off the crane and stuff. And oh the, yeah, yeah, like they loved it. Yeah, I was, but no. I was like, no, I'm good. All it takes is like you know what do they call it a belly flop and it knocks the wind out of you. Yeah. Yeah, you're not touching ground, bro. Like, no. That's six miles <laughs> below you, so. Exactly. I mean, people had panic attacks just because like. <laughs> the, that, would, that would be me. The, it wasn't calm seas either. It was really choppy and like people were getting slammed around, but the CEO was like, let's just do it because people want to do it. It wasn't the safest conditions, and people literally had to get picked up by the small boat because they were having panic attacks. Good grief. So, yeah, that was enough for me. But I can say I did it. Wow. Yeah, I don't I don't think I would ever do it again. Hmm. And on that patrol also, <laughs> like, you uh, you cross the uh, you cross the international timeline. Mm-hmm. You cross the equator. Yep. So, um, and then you had people pulling up beside you asking for, asking for cigarettes. Cigarettes, yeah. And you swam in the deepest part of the ocean. Yeah. Hmm. That's just to name some of the stuff that went on over there. I mean, I've gone to the bathroom in some of the weirdest toilets I've ever seen over there in Asia. And I rode elephants and all kinds of stuff. Like, it was very interesting. So, I mean, that's that's one of the coolest things about being in the military is you get paid to go to places like that. Right. And the experiences are what you make it. Hmm. So. That's good advice, huh? Yeah. Um, so... We'll probably take a quick break here, and this is obviously going to be a two-parter. Oh, it is. So um, we'll break off here. <laughs> the people want to know. The people <laughs> need to hear this story. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're getting to some of the good parts here now. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, stick around Sweet. for, for uh, part two, and if you're listening old school, it's time to flip the tape. Flip the, ooh, flip the tape. Can flip they the rewind tape. it and then listen again? Be kind, rewind. Yeah. So part two next week, if you guys uh, have any questions maybe that Ryan should ask me. Send us an email? You could, yeah. I'm yeah. not going to see it because i got all the questions right here in front of me. Oh, okay. But if people want to know particulars, yeah. send us an email, and we can absolutely get those on the air. Yeah, theweeklylab at gmail.com is how to do that. And uh, we'll be back next week, I guess, with part two. 